0: Hello and welcome
1: to Vitality Radio. I'm your host each and every week. My name is Jared St. Clair, and I have had a couple of really long, but not boring, uh, actually, like really interesting conversations with my next guest. In fact, the last big conversation I had with, with him was in Anaheim, California in March, where we talked for, I don't know, maybe two and a half, three hours or something like that between a couple of days that we were at this trade show together. And uh, it was fascinating information. Uh, ever since I met this gentleman, I've wanted to have him, have him on Vitality Radio. I can't wait to introduce him to you here in just a moment. But before I do that, I'll remind you that if you have questions about anything you hear on the show, give us a call at Vitality Nutrition in Bountiful, 801-292-6662. That's 801 801- You can also get us on our website, vitalitynutrition.com. There's a chat feature there if you want to chat with us uh, about anything you hear on the show. Today's topic is going to be, I think, super fascinating uh, for you to listen to. I am confident that you're going to love it because I get as many questions on this topic as probably anything that I get questions on, and the topic is colloidal silver or nano silver. We're going to talk about not only what the difference is between those things, we're going to talk about all the ins and outs on the research, uh, what's been done, what we know, what we don't know about silver. We're going to talk about safety profiles. We're going to talk about how it's been used in studies for a wide range of different things. And the expert that I have on, and I I don't even love using that word expert because just over the last few years, we've been told to trust the experts, and most of those turned out to be bozos. But I'm going to tell you that this guy is an actual expert, at least when it comes to colloidal silver. His name is Keith Muller, and uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about him before I bring him on. He has co-authored uh, a bunch of papers, textbooks, and other publications specifically on silver, a number of which have been peer-reviewed and published in leading wound care, science, and health journals. He's authored a general guidebook on the history and Additional Uses of Silver. That book has sold over 10,000 copies, uh, at which time uh, he, after it sold 10,000 copies, he made it available for free on the internet. We'll have a link to that in the show uh, notes uh, and the show description on your podcast app, and I highly encourage you to download it and read it. It is fascinating stuff. It's called Silver, Nature's Natural Healer. He continues to work directly with some of the leading scientists in the world, as well as numerous independent labs and universities to engineer and test the next generation silver products. Keith's motto has always been, do well by doing good, which he believes has helped him achieve a number of very important accomplishments. And with that, I'd like to welcome Keith Moeller to Vitality Radio. Thank you, Jared. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, I'm excited to have you on. As you know, because uh, you were there, we've had uh, many hours of conversation about silver. And uh, interestingly enough, just a quick quick backstory for those who are listening uh, that haven't heard this before. So at that trade show in Anaheim and prior to it, I was spending a bunch of time educating myself uh, myself on the ins and outs of the of a wide variety of different brands of colloidal silver. Um, I talked to multiple different companies uh, who I felt, uh, to some extent anyway, knew what they were talking about. Who had silver products that I felt were pretty efficacious products, and asked all the hard questions. Uh, questions that I'd received from my listeners, my customers. Questions that I had for myself. And I'll just tell you, Keith, even though you're here and this sounds like I'm buttering you up, uh, the best thing about talking to you was you had answers for all my questions and it didn't feel like you were pulling them out of your hat. Uh, It felt like you actually had the research. In fact, not only did you have the research, you were able to uh, show me the research and even cite uh, pages of uh, multiple page articles and paragraph numbers and all kinds of stuff. What I'm telling you listening today is that this guy knows colloidal silver like nobody that I've ever talked to before, and as I've been researching and trying to figure out what type of silver I want to sell at Vitality Nutrition, he has become my most trusted expert, and so I'm so excited to have him here with us on the show. So let me ask you, now that i buttered y'all up, you got to treat me nice here. <laughs> um Let me ask you to tell us, uh, just in really super basic terms, if somebody's never heard of colloidal silver, or they've heard of it, but have no idea what it is, what the heck is it? Um,
2: Colloidal silver actually is kind of a misnomer. Right now, if you look at the market, there's, you know, a hundred different types of silver products. They call them all colloidal silver. Some are actually just silver nitrate diluted down to a level and sold some are ionic products, some are products that are um, made from nano silver and some are true nano silver products. Some are, I just, you know, most of them are ionic products. And a silver ion is the smallest particle you can get really in, in silver that's useful, but uh, it, it is not very functional. It only has one mode of action And I can explain that to you, too. But colloidal silver, a lot of people say, you know, well, colloidal silver. And I say, you know, you kind of have to know a little more than that. I had one guy come up to me and say, you know, colloidal silver will heal 650 disease organisms. And I said to him, I said, you don't know the question. He said, no, that's not a question. It's an answer. I said, no, actually, it's a question. I said, you need to know the actual question. And he said, okay, so, and he was kind of looking at me like I was obnoxious, and I kind of was at that moment, but I was trying (laughs) to get him to learn something, right? And he said, so what's the question? And I said, well, the real question is what type of silver at what PPM or what silver level over what time period will kill that pathogen that you're after to kill so that you can help mitigate the problem that you have, right? I said, those are the questions you need to know. Silver isn't a magical thing. You don't just wave it over something and it magically makes it all better, right? You kind of have to know some science. You kind of have to go, okay, I have this problem, so I use this much at this part per million, And that will do these things over this time period. And that's kind of why I wrote that book is because I had a lot of people saying, look, what, uh, what do I need to do to solve these problems? So for my doctorate thesis, I actually wrote that book and I had help literally from a couple thousand docs who uh, helped me develop all those protocols for about a hundred different items. So it's a general use book. It doesn't talk about any one specific product. It talks about nano silver, which is a very different type of silver than an ionic. And it has very different attributes. And we can go through that too. But there's a lot of science coming out right now. I mean, it is so exciting. For me, it's like Christmas. Um, other people read books, right? They want to read love stories. They you know, whatever, I love reading science papers and I study them intently. And that's why I can tell you usually page and verse and so forth to answer questions. I hate what they call scientific gibberish, right? I classify a lot of the stuff on silver as scientific gibberish. It sounds pretty good, but it has no actual basis, right? One of those Mm -hmm. questions that I get, which is a fun one that has to do with colloidal silver, is do I put it in glass or plastic? Right? If you actually know um, the difference between glass and plastic, it's an easy answer. It turns out that silver, whether it's AGO, meaning silver oxide, or AG plus, which means it's a it's a little positive silver ion, either one of those have a plus charge. Okay? Silver has a plus one charge in general. Now, glass has a negative charge. So if you actually look at it, it makes perfect sense that glass will it pull the silver in and actually pull it out of solution over time. You don't want glass. But PETE, food grade plastic, which we tested for years, actually has a positive charge. So it repels the silver because a positive charge and a positive charge repel silver. So it is not a wives tell thing that, you know, somebody says, hey, it has to be in glass. If they tell you that, it's just because they don't know what they're talking about. They haven't studied it. But once you study it, you find glass has a negative charge. So it just means that it's attracted to the silver, which has a positive charge. Easy answer. Just something you know. And in my, in my own company, I actually did a study with a nano silver in a uh, PET food grade plastic. I left it on the floor in my office for 16 years and it had no degeneration, didn't fall apart, still killed the same bugs at the same levels. So it uh, if you have PET food grade plastic, you're good. Will it last years? Sure.
1: Yeah. Well, that and that's such an interesting point. I'm glad you brought it up. Not so much because of just the plastic versus glass thing, but because it does really explain uh, uh, on kind of a high level how important the actual scientific understanding is on how silver works generally. I mean, that's just one aspect of it. How is it bottled, right? And it makes sense, Keith, to me, because I'm trying to avoid plastic as much as possible. I drink my water out of stainless steel or glass because I don't want, uh, you know, any, I want as much, any more plastic in the world than we have to, have to have and don't want it leaching and all this kind of stuff. So people that are trying to be clean, uh, if you want to put it that way, in terms of, you know, how they take care of their bodies have been told, To a large degree, that plastic is evil, and to some degree, plastic is evil. There are some issues with plastic, right? There's no question. But in this case, we're not
2: talking about a soft plastic that gives out stuff. Now, we took a nano silver particle product, we put it in a bottle, we left it there for years, then we sent it to the number one material science lab in the world. This was one I did at my old company, too. And so What happened was we sent it to to the number one material science lab in the world, and we said, okay, so what's in this? And they came back and they said, there's nothing else in that to parts per billion. There's been no leaching of the plastic stuff into that liquid, even though it's a highly charged positive solution, right? What we found was that PETE, food-grade plastic, was hard, and actually didn't leach into water, anything that we could find even to parts per billion. And you know, parts per billion is an interesting thing because they say every time you breathe in, you probably breathe in in parts per billion some little piece of like um, Lincoln, the president, because over his lifetime, he put so much dust in the atmosphere, right? <laughs> so, I mean, when we're talking parts per billion, we're we're talking one part per billion parts. And even right. at that level, it was deemed incredibly clean. So if you use a quality PET, food grade plastic, you don't have to worry about the silver leaching in or the plastic leaching into that. There are soft plastics, and those soft plastics will will pull silver in and uh, they also drop it out of solution i've seen some nasty stuff with the soft plastic so you don't want to use those. you just want a good quality food grade plastic and we've tested it
1: and we know you're good all right excellent so then we know that aspect of it which i think probably clarifies some things for some people but you touched on something that i think might be the very most important thing we talk about today besides how silver works itself, when people are trying to you know source a cl- uh, a silver for themselves, um, nano versus colloidal. You talked about ionic silver that has one uh, mode of action. Talk about the difference between those two and, and why you believe that nano silver is the superior form. Okay, and um, I think instead of just giving my
2: opinion, what we can do is cite a brand new report. So um, there's a report that just came out, and it's an awesome report. It was like Christmas for me. I told you earlier, you know, this this Canadian group put it out, and I wanted to give somebody a big kiss because it was a great report. And uh, it was just like Christmas morning for me, right? But in this report, they did a bunch of viral tests, antiviral tests, antibacterial tests against some pretty heinous bacteria. And then they did anti-inflammatory tests. And in that they used one product was a nanoparticle that they created, right? So it's not one that exists on the market, but uh, we've done a lot of testing and we know a lot about a particle, let's say. Um, that matches up with it almost perfectly. But in this study that we're talking about, um, they tested this nanoparticle. They tested also a silver nitrate, right? And then they tested what they called a colloidal silver product. And, you know, off camera, I'll tell you the name of it. Um, It's a brand that's on the market. They claim that it's a, a true colloid, right? a true colloid. And uh, it's kind of a mucky brown color that will give you kind of an indication of uh, what what that product may be. But the interesting part is in this peer-reviewed published study, they did full antimicrobial tests and antiviral tests, and they found that nano-silver actually was fully antiviral. We're talking generalities here, right? Not us not a specific product on the market, so I can give you the data. They found that it was highly anti-inflammatory, meaning it reduces inflammation. And they found that it was highly effective against the bacteria and so forth. In fact, in the article, they published a bunch of human trials where they were using it to eliminate sinus infections and actually some uh, things associated with COVID. And we won't make those claims, just know that it's it was a pretty fun report to read, and it's available, and I'll send you a copy. But we didn't do it, and you didn't do it, so it's good third-party data. But the important part was that in there, the colloidal silver, ionic forms of silver, did not have any antiviral effect. none. They did not even inhibit the virus at all. And... Secondly, they didn't have any anti-inflammatory effect, which these guys have been claiming for years. So there was no anti-inflammatory effect on that type of silver, called a silver colloid. The nano-silver, however, did have the anti-inflammatory effect. It was very strong and the antiviral effect. I've heard the same thing about fungus. And one of the things in this study that I can send you a copy of that everybody will want to read because it's really cool. But they used it in that study um, internasally for fungal infections, sinus infections, and had amazing results that we'll let you read and then you'll see them. But it was stunning. Let's just say it was stunning. And so um, there's another big NIH uh, study that's out from 20 docs from a whole bunch of different universities and they found the same thing. They found that regular ionic colloidal silver had no effect on virus. They also showed that it had no effect on yeast. So yeast from a nano silver side is easily mitigated. In fact, there's probably a dozen products on the market right now that are FDA approved silver products that are make direct claims on eliminating yeast like Candida albicans, There's also another peer-reviewed published study that if you want a copy of, I'll send you. But uh, there's a new yeast that hit the US that's petrifying everybody. It's a fungus that is called Candida auris. And it kills about half the people that get it. It's hard to diagnose. And all three antifungal drugs that are available on the market do nothing. They have no effect. But this big publication that came out, which I can also send you a copy of if you'd like, showed that nano silver could eliminate it, um, keep it from growing at about a half PPM and kill it at between one and six PPM. So specific data that is really nice to have. And I have copies of that study as well. It's another peer reviewed published study, tier one scientific data available to anybody and I can send you a copy of it as well. So the big things are that regular colloidal silver will kill some bacteria. It has that ability, but sometimes you need multiple applications of it to do it. It will not inhibit the growth of a virus, and it will not cause an anti-inflammatory effect based on this scientific data that's out where they tested it directly. Nanosilver, however, will, in fact, kill a virus or neutralize a virus. There's a lot of argument whether it's actually alive or not, but either way, these studies show indirectly um, from, I think, the study we're talking about was six different PhDs from six different mm-hmm. uh, institutions from two major universities. So different six different parts of two major universities did all that test work together and then they published it. So it's pretty fun to read because it's great data. It's independent. And uh, where you and I are trying to uh, help people stay healthy, it's a really great study to have in your pocket.
1: Yeah, I'll definitely take all those studies. That's uh, stuff I also absolutely love uh, eating up for sure. So I appreciate that. So uh, on the, the with the silver, let's talk then about what the actual mode of action is. How does silver do what it does? What what is it actually doing when it comes into contact with a virus or fungus or or bacteria? Okay, so now we're going to have to talk about specific types of silver.
2: Um, if we talk about a colloidal silver, an ionic form of silver, what what that is is a single silver ion. And their claim is that they're the smallest. It's the smallest particle size. And you hear them say a lot, because it's the smallest, it has more surface area. So it's more effective, right? And because it's the smallest, they say it's more effective, which, you know, to a certain extent, there's some truth in that. But The problem is that's not the only factor, right? As you get smaller, you also get stability problems. Colloidal silvers tend to fall out of solution very quickly. And so then what they do is they usually bind it to a protein. So when they bind it to a protein, it holds it in suspension, keeps it from falling out, but it mucks up its ability to function or to be used. And so then they have to put a lot more silver in it. So you have products on the market that are 250, 500, 2,000, or 2,500 ppm. Those are ionic forms of silver, and most of them are bound to protein to keep it in suspension. They're the least useful type of silver that exists on the market. They don't have the antiviral effect. They don't have the ability to kill most yeast. But they do work against bacteria, so they can solve a number of problems. But you have to have a lot more of it to be effective. So because you muck up its ability to function by adding the protein into it, I think you could describe it kind of like the jam or jelly that your grandma used to make, right? They take juice, and the juice wouldn't uh, wouldn't hold the proteins up. So what they do is they'd add a bunch of uh, gelatin to it. It's a type of protein. And when they add that, it then binds to it and would keep it in suspension. And in the case of your grandma, you made jam. So Knox gelatin would be an example of a protein that you add in, which would then keep that jam suspended and help preserve it, right? In the mm-hmm. case of silver, to keep it from falling out, And that when they use these hellacious amounts of ionic silver, you bind it to a protein to hold it in suspension. So those are the ones that you'll see that'll be 50, 100, 200, 500. And they'll say ours is better because it has more silver, right? Yeah, um, not true. Up to a certain point, you're probably good. But I have seen personal studies um, and ones that were turned into the FDA, where 32 ppm silver went head to head with a 10,000 ppm silver called sylvadine, number one burn cream on the market. In that study um, that went to the FDA, um, what happened was sylvadine took about five hours at 10,000 ppm to kill that bacteria, which was a MRSA, a methicillin-resistant Staph bacteria. The nano-silver did it in less than 30 minutes. That was the first time check and it killed it all. So in that case, a 32 ppm product was at least 10 times faster at killing the bacteria than a product that had 300 times more of the active silver ingredient. In this case, 10,000 ppm. David and Goliath David slaughtered Goliath, right? At least 10 times faster. (laughs) So type of silver makes a big difference. So ionic forms of silver, do they work? Yes. Do they have limitations? Yes. Um, The people on the market know that? No, because they always spew out the same thing. Silver will kill 650 disease organisms, right? But as we touched, that's not the question. Question is how much silver of what type of silver during what time period. And the fun part is that there are a few of us who know those answers and can spit it out verbatim, right? So nano silver, we covered that, but nano silver has the ability, one, to eliminate virus, two, it's an anti-inflammatory, and three, it will still kill all those same pathogens, but also yeast. So in the case of that candida auris we were talking about, being able to eliminate a bug that the major drugs won't is a huge thing. And because there are some of the products that are approved by the FDA for skin care, you know, wound care, you can actually use it in there. There's also versions of it that are natural healing agents, which will do the same thing, which have the data as well on being able to eliminate like Candida auris. The worst thing in the world for me, and one of the things that really keeps me going, is that I have a big family, right? I'm up to uh, like 20, 21 grandkids. I worry about stuff that hits the US, because I want them all to have a first line of defense. So I have spent my life studying this stuff so that my family, my friends, and, and other people will know the answers when they need them. So do I have data on Candida auris? Oh yeah, I do right this minute. Can I give it to you? Yeah, we probably wouldn't do it in a public forum, but with the peer reviews that are out on Nanosilver, we can say that in those peer reviews, it was able to eliminate Candida auris, which by the way is killing about half the people that get it. And it's in hospitals and elderly care centers. Um, But, you know, you're talking in the peer-reviewed publications, which we didn't do. So it's all independent data done by a whole bunch of PhDs. It shows that nanosilver between 1 and 6 ppm can eliminate that bug,
1: Right. Yeah, and that's fascinating, too, because you want to talk about low levels. I mean, one to six part per million is lower than anything that's available in the market that I've seen. Most things start at 10 parts sure. uh, and go up. And And that's one of the big questions that people have. Well, if 10 is good, then, you know, 30 is better. If 30 is good, then 50 is better or 500 is better. And obviously, you're showing that that's not always the case. So then the uh, there's a couple of questions then. In terms of the actual mechanism, if you've got a suspended nano silver that hasn't fallen out of solution, that doesn't have to have a protein to keep it in solution, like what we're talking about, when it comes into contact with a bacterial invader, uh, what is it actually doing?
2: Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the cool part about nano silver. So. Um, and we're gonna talk about a couple of different types. I've found uh, several reports that cover specific um, types of nano silver that have some really cool um, attributes. But um, silver works, and I'm sorry I didn't answer this earlier, but ionic silver works because it's missing one electron. That gives it a plus one charge, AG plus one, and it wants that electron back. So when it comes up against a bacteria or a fungus or something like that, has the ability to rip out one electron, and that's all. Once it does that, it's happy. It's a one-and-done technology or what we call a single shot, right? Because it steals one electron, and then it's happy, it's done, you can't recharge it, it's, it's happy in its state. But nanosilver, the ones that we're talking about, have multiple modes of action one it puts out a resonant frequency it's embedded with the resonant frequency that actually vibrates at the same level as ultraviolet light 890 to 910 terahertz what that means is that when that particle is in water it can kill bugs that it actually doesn't touch and i was sitting once and this was a lesson for me early in earlier when I thought I was really bright, but I was around people who were really smart. Um, I was sitting in a room with Hans-Peter Juer and uh, he was chairman of the Max Planck Institute in Germany, the number one think tank in the world, probably the number one quantum physicist on the planet, and Russell Roy, who'd been nominated for the Nobel Prize 23 times. And they were talking about nanosilver with me. There was a third guy there named Dr. Uh, Levitt, and he was at a BYU double doctorate. So these three guys with me tagging in um, as the kid um, were talking about nanosilver and its ability to kill bubonic plague. Why pestis, right? And uh, we were going over test work, which showed that this nanosilver was killing about a billion white bacteria in less than two minutes. So it was stunning.
0: Wow. And they were
2: talking about the fact, and they were, they were cranking numbers out in their brain that I could do. Um, you know, Russell Roy said, look, it's this size of nanoparticle, five to seven nanometers. So he said, there's this many particles at this PPM. And he said, and now you put that in with two billion bacteria. He said it can't work. He said you cannot kill that much bacteria because in that time frame the particle can't get in, um, in contact with that many of the uh, bacteria. The particle can't get in contact with that many bacteria in that time frame. And I was a dumb kid and I said, but it did. And Rustam looked at me like a kindly grandfather, put his arm around me and said, Keith, we know it did. You did the test and triple cut. He said, what we're trying to do is figure out how it did it. Mm-hmm. I said, I will just be quiet now and listen, but thank you very much. <laughs> I appreciate your time. And they went back and they, Rustam said, okay, I'll go back and I'll do this and this and this number one material science lab in the world, right? Um, at Penn State, but we had guys there from Arizona State, University of Arizona, Germany. And uh, Hans-Peter Dürer said, look, I'm friends with the guys who make a, a spectrum analysis machine. And he said, I'll go back and put it on that. And what they found out in the end was that this nanoparticle puts out a resonant frequency. It's the same as ultraviolet light. So where ionic silver has one mode of action, the nanosilver, first of all, can steal multiple electrons, pull them into the core and steal more. It's like catalytic in its function, right? It keeps functioning like a self-loading machine gun in this case, where everybody else has a single shot. And then a second mode of action is that it puts out this frequency in the water. So this nanoparticle is embedded with a frequency That just happens to vibrate in the water the same as ultraviolet light. So it can kill bacteria, yeast, fungus stuff that it actually doesn't touch. Because it can do that, it has modes of action that normal silver doesn't have. And also what they found was that that frequency did no damage to human tissue. So it won't hurt your tissue at all but it disrupts the cell wall membrane of bacteria, fungus, and obviously virus. So multiple modes of action versus one mode of action.
1: All right, so there's some really interesting stuff to unpack there. I've got a couple of questions before we move on to the next uh, part of this talk. So first off, it sounds like to me, if I understand correctly, that this whole resonant frequency thing is, was almost accidental. Like they didn't know why it was working so well until they figured out that it was putting off this frequency. Is that accurate? Correct. We would call that a gift from God. You
2: could call it luck. (laughs) In the production method, you could call it a gift. I tend to think of it as a gift. Those guys that created that uh, were given that gift, um, that it had that ability that they didn't know existed. You know, when they are originally trying to engineer that particle, They were just trying to make ionic forms of silver stable, which they weren't. They are inherently unstable. And Mm -hmm. so instead of adding it to a protein or binding it to a protein, they were trying to figure out if they could do it. And what they accidentally did was create a new nanoparticle. And that particle just happens to be covered with the multivalent silver oxide, which means it's kind of catalytic in its function, has abilities that other products don't have. And evidently, there's a number of these nanoparticles that I've studied from different places that have a similar resonant frequency. Now, each of them probably has a signature that's slightly different, but the important part is that uh, that frequency will do things that regular silver won't do with virus and with with fungus and stuff like that, while still remaining non-toxic to skin, skin tissues, your blood cells. Um, there's data on all of that, safety data. So one of, the, one of the things that we probably ought to cover for the fun of it um, was that I hear a lot that people say there is no proof that silver used internally um, is safe. And I just look at them and say, look, either you don't do any homework or you need to do homework because there's a ton of data. There are three studies just out of the University of Utah, in Utah, that are peer reviewed, published, available in PubMed. First one shows that nanosilver does no damage to the system. If you drink it, it hits its height in the bloodstream in two hours, washes out completely in 24 with no residual. So it clears the body very quickly. Second study in there showed that it did no damage to the red blood cells. The third study actually showed that it had no negative action when it was mixed with other products people had to take. Technically, they're called P four fifty drugs, right? But um, it had because it's not metabolized, it has no negative action if they use it with drugs. There's another peer-reviewed published study out there where it showed that nanosilver used in combination with uh, antibiotics can make the antibiotics as much as 10 times more effective. So I think they were looking at it saying, look, we don't need to be a a huge problem for the pharmaceuticals. We actually could be a help keeping their cash cow products cash cow when they reach a point where uh, most of the bugs have mutated against them. If they add the nanosilver in with it, the use, it had a synergistic or additive effect. I have those studies as well, by the way. So the fun part is that, you know, that data is available. So we know it's safe to ingest. We know when they ingested the nanosilver, it hit its height in the bloodstream in two hours, washed completely out of the body in 24 with no residual. Now, ionic forms of silver, regular colloidal silver, is metabolized, can bind to the fats, can stay in the body actually for weeks, where the nanosilver goes in, does its job, washes out in 24 hours with no measurable residual. In the report, it specifically says it hits its tro, meaning the lowest or unmeasurable amount, right? And so that's a big one. One of the other questions I get all the time is, how much silver can you safely drink every day, right? If I wanna be safe and I wanna make sure that my family is safe, how much can I safely drink? The EPA put out a document called the Red Document, Registration Eligibility Document for Silver. On the second page in the fourth paragraph it states, that you can safely consume 0.005 milligrams per kilogram a day. If I translate that into English, so we all understand it, what it says is that a normal-sized adult could drink about an ounce a day of a 10 ppm nano pro- or a 10 ppm silver product. In this case, it's any silver product. About an ounce a day of a silver product at 10 ppm every day for their entire life and it would be completely safe. And that's put out by the EPA, which are kind of the uh, directors of uh, toxicity, right? They're the kind of the mm-hmm. ones who decide what's toxic and what's not. But the important part is that at that level, an ounce a day, it was completely safe for everyday usage. Now, the, the guys at the University of Utah actually put out a report that went a little farther and they tested a 10 ppm and a 32 ppm and both of those at an ounce a day. And they found that both of those were absolutely safe for everyday ingestion, right? At an ounce a day, a 10 and also a 32. So could you do a 32? According to the study that's published at the University of Utah, yes, if it's a nano silver, right? That EPA, that, that EPA document, the red document, also states, third page, fourth paragraph, it states that silver is not an eye or skin irritant and not a skin sensitizer. Fourth page, fourth paragraph states, the EPA does not anticipate that dietary exposure to these low levels of silver will be associated with any significant degree of risk. So what that means is that according to the U.S. government, EPA, right, at an ounce a day, you're completely safe for everyday usage for your entire life.
1: So, yeah, and that's really important because the the questions that come up, and you know this as well as I do, Keith, are, you know, does it work? Um, Is it safe? How much can I safely take? you know, those types of questions. So I'm, I'm glad that we're getting those things out of the way because I think that's really critical. And, f- and for those of you who aren't so good at uh, conversions... Um, an ounce a day would be like six teaspoons. Uh, and so, you know, people that are taking it to try and, you know, address something that they're dealing with and taking it throughout the day, uh, the, the uh, scientific literature would indicate that six teaspoons a day for life would be a safe dose of a, of a silver like this. Now,
2: so, just, well, let's talk- just so you know, I wrote the paper on Argyria. So a lot of the guys say, look, you know, silver, if you drink too much, will turn you blue right? Mm-hmm. So I was actually the one who authored the paper on Argyria and put it out and it circled all over the net. What I did was a bunch of research on the lowest level of silver intake ever known to cause Argyria. And so in any circumstance ever, right? The blue man effect. There was a guy hanging around a few years ago and I loved him. He was We called him Papa Smurf because he was like blue. And he loved he loved the attention he was getting, but he was making some homemade version of silver, and he'd been drinking. He said he'd been drinking what thirty to forty ounces a day for years, and he said he had some medicinal problem, and um, that was going to kill him. And he said that he was able to mitigate it by using that silver. So in his case, you know, if my choices were blue or dead, I. I think I'd probably go with blue, but um, the fact is you don't need near that much to accomplish those things if you do a little more study. But what I found was that the lowest level ever known to cause argyria, if you were going to get that, you would have to drink eight ounces of a 10 ppm product every day for about a year to hit the lowest level ever known to cause it. And... Hmm. Most people aren't going to get there, and if you're using a nano silver, it actually there's reports out that show it's impossible because it can't build up in your system. It washes out, um, kind of like you swallowed a penny, right? That's going to make it through your system. It's going to come out the other side. Nano silver does the same thing, but it washes out in 24 hours, according to the report done by uh, the University of Utah and published. And I have yeah. all that data. If anybody Wants to argue any of these points, I'm fine with that. I'll just send them the data. It's a pretty easy argument. So.
1: Yeah, well, and, and I love – that's one of the reasons I've really enjoyed talking to you about silver is that you're not just throwing stuff out there based on some things that you've heard or some things that you believe. You've actually got documentation on all of this, which is really important because the truth is, is there are some interesting misconceptions that are, I think – very logical misconceptions uh, for for someone who's naive about some of the information here. The first one you talked about right out of the gate. Glass seemingly would be better than plastic until you do the research. And then you see, oops, in the case of silver, that's not the case. Another one would be silver is a metal and heavy metal toxicity is bad, so silver equals bad until you do the research and recognize that the type of silver we're talking about at the doses we're talking about can't create that issue. Let me uh, talk about that for a minute, because I had a doc
2: at a big show, right? Like you and I were talking. This Mm -hmm. doc came up to me and he said, uh, I won't use silver internally. I said, why not? He said, because it's a heavy metal. I said, well, it's not a heavy metal. He said, no, it's a heavy metal. I said, not a heavy metal. He said, no, it's a heavy metal. I said, we can keep arguing this all day or we can go for a referee. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, who do you suggest? I said, not a who, but a what? He said, okay, what do you suggest? I said, well, if you know much about science, and I said, you're a doc, you should be pretty familiar. There's a book called the Merck Manual, M-E-R-C-K. And the Merck Manual is kind of the Bible of toxicity, right? Has all the drugs in it. It has all of the metals. It has all of the chemical interactions between all of these types of things. I said, would you accept the Merck manual? And he said, yeah, I'll accept the Merck manual. I said, okay, you just lost. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, if you go to the 17th edition and you go to page 1880, second paragraph, table 226-1, you'll find a list of all the heavy metals. Copper is a heavy metal. Bismuth, the stuff they make Pepto-Bismol, the pink stuff out of it's a heavy metal, right? Iron is a heavy metal. Gold is a heavy metal. Silver, not a heavy metal. And I said, he said, he looked at me and he said, I'm not going to win this, am I? And I said, no, you're not. He said, okay, I give up. I said, well, I mean, it's just science, right? It, It is what it is. And the data that I have, explains to you that it's not. I said, the reason why people think that silver is a heavy metal, and heavy metals are scientifically um, diagnosed, if you will, as those metals that cause nephrotoxicity. In English, that means um, that they poison the kidneys. They do damage to the kidneys. And silver doesn't. Um, Iron, if if you're a guy and you're not menstruating, You know, donating blood occasionally is a good thing because you can have too much iron in your system. Um, And that can cause heavy metal poisoning. It can damage your kidneys. But silver won't do it. And the reason why they think silver is, is because in the old days they were using tons of silver nitrate. Silver nitrate is, in fact, a heavy metal. But it's not because of the silver, it's because of the salt. The nitrate is a salt and it's counted as a heavy metal. It causes nephrotoxicity or damage to the kidneys if you get too much of it. And so that's why they think it is, but the answer is silver is not a heavy metal It it's no nephrotoxicity. And uh, some guy said, well, there's a, a new Merck manual out. I said, yeah, 18th edition, page 2022, second paragraph, on the left. He said, okay, I give up. Now <laughs> <laughs> so I said, you all want right. a copy? I'll take a picture and send it to you. But I said, not a heavy metal. So you don't have to worry about it with silver.
1: Well, that's interesting. So there you go. After all the hours we've talked, that's something you hadn't taught me yet. So I appreciate that. So then, but, but the point I think still remains that people have a lot of these misconceptions because of the blue man and because of you know the different types of silver and homemade silver versus you know true nano silver and all these other things and so it's one of the big reasons I wanted to have you on was just to clear the air on some of this stuff from the scientific literature you know what's true and what isn't true when it comes to this so we've talked about safety because of the ability of the body to eliminate the silver within the 24 hours with the nano silver but uh, the other big question that always comes up is well if it's such a powerful uh antibacterial then isn't it going to harm my microbiome so what do you say to that
2: okay so that's very interesting because that's one of the things we didn't touch with the ionic forms of silver so there's a big study out from the us nih and that study shows that normal colloidal silver will start to kill probiotic bacteria at about 2.5 ppm. So most of the ionic or colloidal silver products you see will in fact, at about 2.5, start killing the good bacteria in your microbiome. The interesting part about nano silver, and we think it's because it's the resonant frequency, but it actually has no effect on probiotic bacteria. Now I haven't tested the you know, the spores from uh, some of the probiotics that are yeast. So the answer is on those, I don't know. But on the bacteria, the probiotic bacteria, lactobacillus and stuff like that, um, we've done a lot of work over time in both my new company, my old company, data that's available on the net. And that data shows that nanosilver will not hurt probiotic bacteria. In fact, I've seen lactobacillus studies up to 40 ppm, showing that had no negative action on on lactobacillus, a major probiotic for your microbiome. One of the reasons why we were looking at it is because we're very interested in using the gel intravaginally to be able to use it as one lubricant, but eliminating things like HPV and uh, and also, uh, can eat infections. And so we're doing a lot of work on nano silver gels and the probiotic versions, looking at those specific things. And there are now some silver products out. one that I know of out of India that actually sold for vaginal use. Um, that is a nano silver that eliminates, uh, pathogens in, the in the, uh, vaginal tract and can do so without hurting the probiotics that's in there. So the cool part is with the nano silver, and especially in your gut, if you can kill up pathogens and you are not hurting any of the probiotics, you can actually use the nano silver kind of as a, uh, a pre-treatment to empty the parking lot, if you will, in your microbiome, so that you can then fill it And I had one scientist out of India that said, want me to prove it to you? And I said, yes, I'd love to you to prove to me that that nanosilver won't kill probiotics. He said, "Okay, watch this. So we went to the store and he bought a thing, of baby formula, brought it back, mixed a 10 ppm nanosilver with it, mixed it all up, and then he pulled out of his pocket some little pills um, that were the capsules of probiotics. And he opened those up, dumped them in, stirred them in. Now he said, we got to wait a few days. And we were there for a few days meeting, right? With the scientific group. Came back three days later, yogurt. He made yogurt. You cannot make yogurt if you kill the probiotics. I said, okay, I give. I'm absolutely convinced because he used a 10 ppm nanosilver to make yogurt. Which, by the way, turned out incredibly smooth and clean, had no lumps because there's <laughs> no pathogens in it. I found out that lumpy yogurt means you probably have some bugs in there um, that you don't want. But the probiotics grew, and so there was no question about the fact that the the nano silver did not inhibit the probiotics at
1: all. So wow, that's that's fascinating. Really, really interesting stuff. So what? Do we understand why? What's the why? Why does it not impact the human uh, bacteria?
2: There's a whole lot
1: of theories. One of them that I heard
2: Russ and Roy and his group talk about was that probiotic bacteria basically have three cell wall type layers. They have three layers inside the cell of protection, and maybe it is that the frequency and that the uh, um, the still in the ions just can't reach in. It just doesn't do it. But the answer is we know it doesn't because we have the test data, but actually why right now is a lot of theory. And I never make up anything. So if I don't know, I'll just say I don't know. But the answer is I don't know. There's a lot of theories. The best one is that probably it's a difference in the cell wall. So pathogenic forms have one or two cell wall layers. And uh, when I don't mean actual layers, but types of layers inside of them, Um, probiotics have three. And so it doesn't seem to be able to penetrate. But either way, the facts are the same. It It doesn't inhibit its growth. I've seen data up to 40
1: ppm. All right. And then we we talked about the safety profile, and and I don't want to go too much further down that road, but there is one question that I get all the time. You you say that uh, the data shows that it's safe with pharmaceuticals and and other medicines and things like that. It's safe for the microbiome. Uh, One question that uh, is brought to me all the time is, what about kids? What about pregnancy? What about nursing? That sort of thing.
2: Okay, so because it's sold as a supplement or a cosmetic, you can make no claims with a pregnant woman or an infant. But mm-hmm. can you say it's safe with kids? Yeah, you can. There's a lot of data out. Um, even in the, you know, even if you look at colloidal silver, there's been tens of millions of bottles um, used over time. The nano silver, millions of bottles have been used. No negative action has ever been recorded. There's also another EPA document um, called IRIS, Integrated Risk Information Systems. I believe it's the eight page, second paragraph, says that they did a bunch of studies and showed that silver was not a mutagen and was not a cancer causing agent. So it's not a carcinogen and it's not a mutagen, so it won't deform cells. And it won't cause problems. So I've seen actual um, gynecologists write prescriptions for nanosilver because it was one of the safest things that a pregnant woman could use um, while she was pregnant. But the answer in truth is that you cannot say that any product um, can be used by a pregnant woman or a uh, an infant. But... You can say kids are safe. Um, I have seen hard data in Africa that we were semi-involved with, with my old company, where we were doing uh, um, an internal humanitarian thing where we're using an ounce a day um, in kids that have malaria as young as uh, a year old. And we're able to help them gain full health in an average of 3.43 days full recovery, full health, um, that is also, I was asked to testify before Congress with my father. That was in 2005. So we both stood before Congress. My dad gave him the information, but we showed him that the nanosilver could mitigate a full case of malaria in an average of 3.43 days. And that data was uh, released by Congress, is available. If you want a copy, I'll give you the uh, the site where you can pull it up from uh, the uh, um, Congressional Record, and you can pull it up and see the whole discussion. It was interesting because we were sitting next to the next to the WHO, the World Health Organization, and the Rollback Malaria Committee, and uh, Senator uh, Smith. Uh, Chairman Smith, I should say Chairman Smith, stood up and uh, said um, to the crowd, he said, I think you guys ought to talk to them because it looks like they might be able to solve your problem. They would not talk to us. (laughs)
1: Shocking.
2: Yeah, truly shocking. But it's all available there in the congressional record. It's all public data. And I can give you the address should you want to look it up and See if I'm telling you correctly.
1: Yeah, definitely. I'd love to see that too. Uh, I could dig into your brain on silver uh, for a long, long time. Um, let's. We're gonna. I'm gonna extend this show a little bit longer than usual. If you're okay for a few more minutes, Keith. You know that I am. There's few things I like talking about more than silver. So
2: <laughs>
1: fire away. Uh, maybe, maybe your grandkids. Maybe, but uh, I don't know. Uh, OK, so let's talk about a couple of more things that I think are pretty I think pretty interesting. And I don't know what you can say about this, but, you know, we just went through this craziness uh, over the last few years and it raised a lot of questions for people in terms of, you know, what should I have on hand when the next thing hits? You know, whatever that thing might be. Uh, and, you, you know, now you're talking about malaria you're talking about uh, some a lot of uh, antibiotic resistant pathogens like MRSA and uh, that sort of thing. I know. I think you, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I think there's some some research on uh, C. diff uh, with silver as well. Is that accurate, or have I got that wrong?
2: Um, we have done a whole bunch of testing on Clostridium. We're actually Mm -hmm. doing some now, which is interesting because we're trying to solve a problem for chickens. Um, Because the chicken, the poultry industry has a problem with uh, clostridium, which is C and C. diff, right? Right. Clostridium and D. And uh, we found that nanosilver could eliminate it quickly and easily. So the question is, can we help the chickens in that industry? And I'll tell you what, in about a month, I'll be able to tell you. So oh, uh, the answer okay. is that can nanosilver eliminate C. diff? The answer is yes. Um, mm-hmm. It won't do that at low levels like normal. A nanosilver, I've seen a lot of studies, um, even some public data which shows that nanosilver can eliminate like a MRSA, methicillin-resistant staph aureus, at like 2.5 ppm. But... Uh, I think C. diff, you're probably talking about at 10 ppm to eliminate it. So probably a little higher level, but uh, still not a difficult bug to eliminate.
1: Well, and that's the the point is this, and I think it's a really uh, important uh, question that a lot of people have. We are in a society now, especially in America, where I believe antibiotics are being overprescribed at a Unbelievable level, uh, epidemic levels, and creating a lot of issues. When we talk about the Candida auris, we talk about C. diff, we talk about MRSA. These are things that are primarily born in hospital settings, uh, where everything's uh, sterilized and and antibiotics are are everywhere. And yet they're they're forming resistance to these antibiotic therapies, and it appears that silver is not. Falling into that same category where these are becoming resistant to silver. We don't know what's around the corner. We don't know what the next thing is that might pop up and create issues for people. But I've told people for years that if you're talking about like medicine cabinet things, 72-hour kit type things, what to have in your backpack, silver as a topical gel and silver as an ingestible liquid uh, in the nano form makes more sense to me than maybe anything else. And now when you're talking about prepping for the next, whatever super bug or whatever you want to call it, uh, silver has the most, even though we may not have data at this point because the thing might not be here yet. uh, It seems that uh, silver is the most logical thing because near as I can tell, we haven't found anything out there that, it doesn't have an impact on.
2: Well, and I think the question that I get is, you know, or a question, actually, let's go better the one I ask, right? So I ask people, I say, look, if we just all went through a problem, a huge problem, all of a sudden you couldn't get medicine in stores, all of a sudden you couldn't get food in stores, you couldn't get a lot of the medicine, even simple stuff that you needed. There's a shortage right now on Tylenol. I thought, you know, the makers of Thailand could easily make 10 billion units, right? They're making money. But for whatever reason, there's a huge shortage that they said might take 10 years to be able to mitigate. But the, the thing is that I ask them, I say, look, what do you have in your house right now? What do you have as the first line of defense for you and your family, right? And most of them look at me and say, well, you know, I get nothing. And I say, well, that's why I love silver. You know, is it it, going to work against all things? I don't think so. Do we need more knowledge? Yes. Will it work against almost any of the problems you could have? Yeah, if you figure out how to use it um, and you have a little knowledge, you do a little homework, you can know how to use it. And that's one of the reasons why I wrote that book for my doctoral thesis, right? Tells them how to use uh, gel. There's no name on it, no type, but it tells them how to use a gel and a liquid to solve about 100 different problems. Tells them exactly how much they need to use over what time period, and it's talking generalities, right? But the important part is that we all need a first line of defense, and we really don't have it. We need something that we can use that has a very high chance of being able to help us stay alive and well in our families and our friends and the people around us, because that's what's most important, right? And so that's why I do all the stuff that I do is to try and solve those problems up front. That's why when a new bug starts coming around the corner like Candide Auras, I'm already doing homework and uh, that one's got them all scared. If you saw the Fox News thing, on Candida they said this is a new superbug that can wipe out our entire population. And the answer is, there's already a peer-reviewed published study on it showing that nano silver can wipe it out at between 1 and 6 ppm. So if you have access to the data or you know what the data is, and we did not produce that data, wasn't produced by any company in Utah, wasn't produced by any any company that was trying to sell a product actually they're trying to solve a problem and they found that nano silver would eliminate it so they gave all that data to the rest of us i have copies so i'm happy to share does it mean it'll work against everything now but let me let me give you one more example and it's kind of a fun one so there's a peer-reviewed published paper out right now and that paper was 231 frontline docs. And these frontline docs were all being exposed to COVID, right? They were in hospitals. These are guys that are treating all the people who have COVID. So the FDA um, does not regulate a nasal rinse. You can use anything you want as a nasal rinse. It's not a claim. And in this study, of 231 frontline docks, about half were using the nano silver as a nasal rinse every day and as a gargle, weren't even swallowing it, doesn't say anything about swallowing, just nasal rinse to wash out their sinuses, right? So 117 of these docks, and they're in the US, Mexico, and Spain, 117 were the control group. They did not use it, did not. Of those 28%, 33 people, 28% got COVID, right? 33 of 117. Of the ones, 114, who used the nasal rinse, used nano silver as just a nasal rinse and a gargle every day, two got COVID, 1.8%. So was it perfect? It wasn't perfect. Was it astounding? Oh, yeah, it was astounding. And, you know, you look at 33 verse 2 out of 100 and, you know, say 17 dots. That's pretty amazing. Almost a third verse 1.8%, right? Um, First line of defense. I'll go with those odds any day, right?
1: Yeah. And I can
2: send you that study as well. It's available. It doesn't make an FDA claim because the nasal rinse is not an FDA claim.
1: There you go. All right. Well, I we've we've gone way longer than anticipated. I could go another three hours. I think what we need to do next, uh, Keith, if you're up for it, is is a follow up show where we talk about topical use and all of the different studies that have been done on on that sort of thing. Everything from burns to uh, everything else that. Uh, skin affection, uh, skin afflictions, skin infections, all that kind of stuff. But we'll have to do that on another day because I've got to wrap this up. Um, (laughs) Keith, you are a wealth of information as always. I I, I get a lot of really amazing people on this show that know a lot about the stuff they know a lot about. Uh, And I don't know what you know about anything outside of silver. We've never talked about anything else. Uh, If you're good at sports betting, I should talk to you about that because... (laughs) That that would be useful, too. Uh, But clearly, you know your stuff when it comes to silver. I think this has been a really, really interesting show for everybody. And I can't wait to have you back on Vitality Radio very soon. It's a pleasure. Always
2: glad to be there. And not only that, you can uh, let your guys formulate
1: a whole bunch of questions and then we can go through those on the next one. Ah, That'd be fun, too. Maybe we'll do that. All right. Well, uh, for everybody else uh, listening, uh, hopefully you've really enjoyed this. Know that we will have Keith on again talking more about colloidal silver uh, very soon because this is a topic that is uh, it's exhaustive. There's a lot of information. There is a ton of data. Uh, You would never think uh, with something that is seemingly so controversial as silver uh, that there would be so much data that proves It's safety and effectiveness. Uh, It's controversial for other reasons, I would say. But Keith, thank you so much for joining me on the show and for everybody else listening. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Keith. Uh, He's become a friend of mine over the last six, eight months uh, and really kind of a mentor when it comes to colloidal silver, nano silver, whatever you want to call it. And uh, I am so happy to offer you now for the first time ever finally, a Vitality Nutrition colloidal silver in two forms. And I will say that as far as I know, we're the only company in the world that has this particular silver that we just discussed in a nasal wash. And so if you're worried about upper respiratory stuff, This is a fantastic opportunity for you to uh, give that a shot. It is my favorite remedy for that purpose. We also have it in a 16-ounce bottle that you can use for uh, ingestion or whatever else you would like to use colloidal silver for. So it's at Vitality Nutrition in Bountiful and it's also on our website, vitalitynutrition.com. We do have a link for that in the show notes and there's even a deal if you buy both of them together. So thanks for listening to me and Keith talk about nano colloidal silver, one of my favorite products, one of the most tried and true things that I've used for, well, ever since I discovered it, probably going on 30 years ago now. Absolutely fantastic stuff. I appreciate you listening to me. Uh, If you have questions, call us, 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. We'd love to have you visit us in Bountiful at 107 South, 500 West, or call us or jump on our website, vitalitynutrition.com. I'm Jared St. Clair, and this has been Vitality Radio.
0: don't forget to follow us at Vitality Radio on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please let us know your thoughts about this episode by using the hashtag Vitality Radio Podcast. And if you like what you hear, go tell somebody with a share, a screenshot, or an airdrop. Thank you.